world around us is polluted with thousands of polarized opinions regarding scientific advances, ethics, and truth. It may seem quite hard to find your footing, your voice in the clamoring crowd, and your vision in such convoluted topics such as climate change or stem cell ethics. Our goal is to provide some clarity to the big questions of Christianity and science by examining holistic biblical, philosophical, and experiential views held by Christians and non-Christians alike throughout the centuries. Through this journey, we hope not only to deepen your understanding of science, but to ultimately deepen your love for God and His wondrous creation. This is The Convergence Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Convergence Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Minch. And I am Caleb Metz. And uh, so uh, we're going to be talking about a little bit of a new topic today. Just recently came out uh, in the news and in the scientific literature. And so it's the idea of brain downloading. So it might be sort of a scientific idea uh, at the very core, but really it's kind of science fiction at the surface here. Uh, We see in The Matrix, a very popular movie from... Uh, the early 2000s, late 90s. Uh, the famous trilogy, The Matrix, when Neo, one of the main characters, needs to learn something, like karate, for example, he only had to sit down and plug in his brain into a computer and upload the knowledge into his brain. Uh, since then, this has been like a dream of a lot of people. This seems like a really cool idea, uh, particularly for those who don't really enjoy learning new things, like a second language or a certain task, how to cook. Uh, so, yeah, so there's a lot of uh, science actually now that is exploring this idea of downloading things into your brain in order to uh, quote unquote maybe download brilliance. So uh, we'll go into a little bit of the science first. Uh, so some researchers have claimed to develop a simulator that can feed direct information directly into a person's brain and teach them new skills in a shorter amount of time uh, comparing it to a life imitating art. And so what they did here is they studied the electrical signals in the brain of a trained pilot. Uh, and then they fed that data, uh, so they pretty much obtained all these signals from the pilot, and then they fed that data into novice, or novice subjects, uh, amateur pilots, as they learned to pilot an airplane in a realistic flight simulator. And this study that was p- published in the journal Frontiers in Human Neuroscience found that subjects who received the brain stimulation uh, via the electrode-embedded head caps uh, improve their piloting abilities and learn the task 33% better than the than there's a placebo group as well just to get a negative control thing. So this proved that it actually does something to the brain, what is, what is going on here. Uh, and this works because certain functions and knowledge in the brain are localized to certain areas in the, in the brain. So we've got Dr. Matthew Phillips, who's one of the ones who worked on this, says that it turns out that a lot of the functions in the brain, like speech and memory, are located in very specific regions about in the brain about the size of your pinky. So there's a bunch of these different, yeah, pinky's pretty small and your brain's pretty big. So there's a lot of these different regions where you could target with the electro waves in order to potentially make someone learn something faster or uh, in a more holistic way than they did before. And so there's a lot of these small studies, uh, including one of the main labs is actually in Malibu, California, right near us, HRL Labs uh, research. They also research to see that research into heightening creativity with this method, enhancing spatial learning, trying to boost math skills, and also acquiring new languages, uh, and even trying to trigger lucid dreams in patients. Uh, And sometimes these studies, they found that weeks after the stimulation, this was still happening. Like they're still able to boost their math knowledge. So I think this is really cool. That's kind of a cool cutting edge thing. Uh, What are your thoughts on, on this, Caleb? 
think it's very interesting. Um, first off, like some of this research that's gone into downloading um, the human brain or like downloading information into your brain, basically, it's from this process will rise up mapping the brain better than we do now, seeing different areas control which. So what this could lead to is human cognition could be understood more clearly and that we could understand how to make mess probably make the brain run faster quote faster and become more intelligent and this has huge economical gains but the question is how ethical is this yeah so what kind of what kind of issues do you think it could arise in a society maybe I, either socioeconomic or yeah definitely socioeconomic issues because there's definitely because in our world they're rich and poor and it's already pretty drastic and what this could do is that the more wealthy could afford this technology and then they could become even more wealthy and more privileged and have more power and then the division would be so much greater that yeah it would be really bad another thing is um just like you're putting information into someone's brain that they didn't obtain themselves so they might not want everything that's in there or what could happen because it could happen wrong i mean they probably have to sign waivers and stuff but i mean still you're messing someone's like total like consciousness yeah i'm just thinking of the mandela effect right now it's like, kind of like you're implanting false memories into the brain and i think there's also something to be said about the process of learning is sometimes more important than the information you actually learn uh, and i think a lot could be lost in the process of learning if we just implant the information there to begin with so uh, yeah, I guess it's not about the it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. A lot yeah, of the times, yeah, you won't make those connections. Like when you're, that's why like when you take notes, it's so good that you write down with your hand, because then you make connections when you do that with your brain. But with this, you're just getting just a bunch of just information just implanted, yeah, and it's weird. not making like connections with other things. Yeah, it might not rewire your because every time you learn something, you're rewiring your neural network in your brain. I don't know if this actually has the same effect. Really, researchers don't really know what is going on when this happens. They just they just know that it works. It's kind of it's kind of a common thing in science. Sometimes people just like do things and it works out fine, but no one really knows what happened. Like, uh, did you know actually it's kind of funny thing that I learned, but as of like last year, no one knew how the heck washing machines actually washed your clothes. Like they knew that detergent they knew that detergent formed these like micelles around your dirt dust particles in your clothes, but they never knew how it penetrated to the very like inner fiber parts of your clothes. But they, a research paper actually published last year in 2018 uh, went through the process of which the cycles of spinning it around with water help the detergent penetrate the, the deep fibers of your clothes. So I just thought that was really interesting. We've been using washing machines for like probably since Un the 60s. Well, and we, I think maybe like even before that even before yeah I, th I thought they came out like around the consumerism well i mean 50s 50s 60s maybe. yeah probably 50, i bet you people in like 50s that had like yeah wealthy people had them but like we we never knew we just knew that it worked we didn't really know the science behind it until recently so i think that's interesting so i guess though since we are the intersection of science and faith i guess the one big faith question we got here for uh, the ability to download brilliance is if we could upload the knowledge of God into people's brains, should we? And would this even be possible? A possibility of a thing? I think you could definitely, I think you could definitely, if we do trigger this, get this down to a, the T enough, I think there's definitely a part of your brain that 
holds like core beliefs, I guess, or religious beliefs. And I think if you target that with like, I don't know, you take brains from some great theologian like William Lane Craig or someone, and you just take all their evidence for the resurrection, you take all their knowledge of God and you just implant it into this other person's brain. I wonder what would, what do you think would happen then? I don't think anything. I think they just have the information. They wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Because, like, you have to experience. You have to have experience with it. Yeah. And it means nothing to you if it's just a bunch of gibberish. Like, it to them, it might be gibberish because it's very... He's very academic in his theology, which has a lot of big Christianese words yeah. that wouldn't possibly understand. But the thing is, I don't think... Well, first off, we need to see what the Bible says on this. Even though yeah. it does, it doesn't explicitly state this, but I think it shows like a nature of like humans and yeah, learning. So and we see Romans one twenty. We see it sort of God revealing. So for the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And again, in Psalm 19, 1 and 2, we've got the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork day to day, pour out his speech and night to night reveals his knowledge. So we've got sort of this revealing, like if you, if you implant something, knowledge of God in someone's head or not, it's, I think we see pretty clearly from these verses that God has already revealed himself throughout creation. Uh, and pretty clearly as well uh, it's just what you do, do what do you do with that information so i don't really think it's much of an information problem like we don't know who this we well i mean we know that there's something that exists from all of creation but we just don't know exactly who it is which he also reveals himself through scripture so i mean that's another way we already sort of have the knowledge of god we don't need to implant it in someone but i think even if people had this knowledge they would still not like you said, not really do anything with it because uh, I was one of my professors last year. He used to teach history of atheism at a uh, community college. And so, uh, yeah, that he's been on well, his, 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 his materials come up a lot, uh, but he used to always just go over this whole section uh, of like the historicity of Jesus and the case for the resurrection. And he'd be done giving like these 10 brilliant points of why the resurrection happened and why uh, Jesus is, who he says he is, the son of God, and how he raised from the dead. And after the class, he'd take a survey. He's like, who is convinced by these facts? Uh, and everyone raised their hand. Like 90% of the people would raise their hand. Like, yeah, I agree with all those facts. That's, that sounds really logically coherent. Uh, and then he's like, so who's ready to give their life to Jesus? And you get like one or two or no one at that. And so you've got a bunch of people who are acknowledging the knowledge of God, but you've got a bunch of people that are still not they're still not getting it. They're not getting, because they don't want the implication. He said most of the people are like, all right, so what do you think? What's the best explanation for these facts? Do you think Jesus is Lord? They'd say Jesus was an alien. I think that that shows a lot about our <laughs> our nature. We'd rather have Jesus be an alien because it's got no implications for our lives. Uh, it doesn't require us to take up our cross daily, like the Bible says. And so I think even though people have the knowledge of the truth, they just choose to suppress it because of the implications that it could have on their life in a negative way as well. So it's really interesting uh, to see that. And we see also that we don't really have the ability to change people's hearts, especially in Ephesians, which is probably a, one of the most influential books on my life. 
uh, and just understanding the power of God over this whole entire process of saving. So I'll go through Ephesians 1, 3 to 10 is actually in the Greek an entire, it's just one, it's the longest run on sentence in the Bible. Uh, it's just Paul expressing his like joy for this process and also like his deep desire for the Ephesians to get this point. It's all one sentence. So I think I'm going to read it in a way that's sounds like all one sentence in the English Bible. It's broken up because English people can't hold their breath for that long, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm going to try it. So I'll take a few deep breaths. Maybe we'll, we'll read it all in one sentence, just as Paul did. And then we'll break it down a little bit after. So, <sighs> all right. <laughs> blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan of the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were at first in hope in Christ may be pr the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard his word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." And so, so what, what, what words do you kind of see coming up over and over again in this verse? You see him, his, all referring to Jesus. So we see Jesus is at the beginning of the process. He's blessed us in Christ. He's predestined us before the foundation of the world. We see him in the middle of the process. He is, in him we have redemption through his grace, his blood, uh, his sacrifice on the cross. And then we see at the end so that we will be glorified with him in the heavenly places. And so you just see middle beginning, middle and end. It's all Christ in that process. So I guess it's, it's a little bit comforting to know that I'm not responsible for other people's salvation. Uh, and ultimately there's no convincing word that I can give to convert someone. Uh, it's ultimately the Holy Spirit in that process. Uh, but it's also a little intimidating to know that I'm not the, I guess, I there's nothing I can do to save myself. It's fully reliant. It takes a lot of humility and sacrifice, which and sometimes a thing called faith. Oh yeah, <laughs> which sometimes I think a lot of people aren't willing to give up control of their own life to give into this free gift that God has given us. So, yeah, yeah. And, and you can. The thing is, we can plant a seed in someone's mind just like with evidence and stuff, yeah. but on our own power, we can't do anything really. It's just, that's all the work of Holy Spirit. Just like I said at the end of Ephesians, it talks about, um, uh, so that in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's what does the work, um, now that Jesus ascended. Yeah. So now that's who does the work basically. Yeah. So it's interesting cause yeah, we can plant a seed. Maybe this brain-shocking technology could actually plant seeds in people, maybe get them thinking about things, but I don't think it could ever. But the thing is, is that free will. Yeah, I think it still is, but maybe not. Yeah, but we'll get to the ethics yeah. later. Yeah. Um, so again, we see in Ephesians 2, just this point, 
pushed again. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. So we see this highlighting the term, it is not of your own doing. It's not what we could do. Uh, It's ultimately on God there. So I think the brain shocking is not going to save lives. I don't think we should use it to save lives because that's sort of shoving religion down someone's throat. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the best the best idea to do as a yeah because yeah. it kind of could give gives, them a negative yeah. view of religion because a big thing with like the bible is that there's like self-revelation and revealing like what who god's nature is himself through other people not through like a thumb drive stuck in your brain like yeah so uh, i guess well, we've been talking about the negatives of this. So which ways do you think this could be good for society? Like, which what are some benefits of we could use this for? Because everything can be used for some good. Linguists being good at basically all language. Yeah, I think that's actually a big... That's, I think, would be the most useful thing. Learning a new language with just a few shocks of your brain would be crazy for people, even just people sharing the gospel in different... Going to different tribes in Africa and just taking a native there implanting his knowledge into your brain and then you're able to share the gospel with this tribe that's never heard of him before so i think that's a great opportunity in itself but also just being able to go to new countries this could i could very see this as like a niche thing that's sort of like you go to it's sort of like a luxury i guess or a a nice gimmick you could go to like this place they'll shock your brain and you can learn a new language before you go on vacation or something like that it's like i'm going to mexico i need some spanish and they'll be like all right we'll hook you up it's like maybe a three-week course or something. They'll teach you Spanish, and they'll also accelerate the process by shocking your brain. And then in that three weeks, you've learned Spanish. You're ready to go to Mexico and order some tacos, maybe even say hi to someone. I don't know. You could. Most people can do that already. Yeah, that's true. From Dora. <laughs> I didn't watch Dora, so I don't have that. But I, did, I, I am biliterate, technically, according to my transcripts and stuff, but probably not. That was over a year uh, ago. I also think, like... Maybe you could use this to uh, shock some some knowledge into uh, like farmers of other countries of agricultural techniques that we've adapted in the United States. But this would ultimately be a huge project and undertaking that would cost billions of dollars, and I don't think that's worth based on how weak this technology is right now. So yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. In a bit. So what should our response be for knowledge downloading? I don't think we should really worry or take too much attention to right now because the technology is so not advanced yet yeah but i would want urge people to be mindful of what this plays a role in like god's creation of humans and how this is affecting what he created in us and is it crossing the boundary of us trying to play the role of god yeah, I think it's also interesting if this gets into like a government control sort of thing, that could be very dangerous because if they can find, if they through enough brain mapping can locate places that trigger like core beliefs, like such as gravity, there's probably a part of your brain that believes that gravity exists. Uh, if we could, if they could alter that belief and insert some fake belief, you've got this government that's trying to brain control everyone pretty much. They can establish some totalitarian regime, maybe like 1984, if you ever read that book. It would be like Brave New World. Oh, yeah. So brain downloading definitely has a dark side, but I don't think we can let it get there as a society. How much control do we actually have? Because, I mean, governments have so much research and money for that. 
Yeah. And they're the ones that are actually heading a lot of this That's like, true. stuff. But I do think we have enough investigative journalists that they would, they can get into all the deep parts of government. Maybe not. So, okay. So we're, we're, we're off of the topic of brain downloading now. We're going to move on to brain uploading, which you might think it sounds similar. They've got the terms uploading and downloading, but it's actually a little bit of a different process with some different implications. So, Caleb, can you just get us a rundown? What's going on with brain uploading and how... What is this new science that is being established? So this is what they call basically like infinite consciousness or basically you will exist forever as inside of a computer, very similar to what was in Captain America Winter Soldier with the um, German scientists that his brain was in that computer. Oh, yeah. Um, This is kind of where that thought is. Um, Currently, the closest we have to anything like that is of building a functional model because you have to build a functional model of the human brain digitally in order for it to work. Um, we're a far way away, but they've done yeah. tests um, with like cats and seeing the tasks with cats and comparing it to um, how fast they would do it in person. Um, and it took them like one second uh, on a cat, but this, this blue gene supercomputer, which is the thing that they've created, takes 10 or even 100 yeah. seconds so it's it's still pretty far yeah it's away the computer is right now like the best computer technology they have is run by ibm um it's called yeah blue gene supercomputer and they've successfully emulated the processing power of a brain possessing 1.6 billion neurons that's about the equivalent of a cat brain but even with very complex models of this it doesn't it it's not fast enough they can't get it fast enough. It lags behind the actual processing power of a cat, which is like, like you said, one second will take like 10 or even like hundreds of seconds to complete a complex task. Even like super complex tasks, it probably can't com- like do. Yeah. So with all this said, we're very far behind. Well, not far behind, but we're long ways away for any of this being even realistic yet. But they but are it, trying uh, to... But it is it is a reality that we are living with. Mm, uh, yeah, I think their last year a Nature paper actually came out on... They wanted to weigh the public opinion on brain uploading and find the factors that cause people to condemn it uh, in order that they can approach public stuff more easily, I guess. And so they found that people who value purity norms and have higher sexual disgust uh, sensitivity, which are these two tests that they do, are more likely to condemn mind upload as well as people who are anxious about death. Uh, or actually, no, the people who are anxious about death and also condemn suicidal acts are more accepting of mind upload. Uh, and also people who had higher science fiction literacy, and uh, they also were more approval of mind upload, which you can imagine all those science fiction nerds are like, oh, yes, I want my I want my TV show or book to come to life. And so they did a few studies uh, they found uh, that people were mostly opposed. The, mo- the majority of people who actually condemned this were opposed to the act of mind transfer, not necessarily the vessel to where it went to. So it wouldn't have mattered if we transferred our brain to a zombie, transferred our brain to a, a potato. Uh, it would really, they're, just the process of mind transfer was what, was what caused them to condemn it, not really the computer part of it. Uh, and they also conducted a second study uh, where they suggested that mind upload is perceived as a way of extension of life 
uh, from one's previous body. So this eternal consciousness kind of thing we've got going on. And so I think we see this throughout human history as well. Lots of fountain of youth like stories that humans are drawn to uh, the immortal young. Uh, I think of a few and uh, there's a lot of these about becoming immortal and it's these same motivations and dreams are really uh, they're really coming back to bite us now in this postmodern technological context. We have the ability to actually possibly gain that fountain of youth either by this, maybe telomere elongation. We talked about that last season. And so there's a lot of these like things that we first thought were science fiction or absurd myths that are actually becoming realities. But I think one of the most interesting things they found is the people that were most accepting of this were the people who were anxious about death because uh, these people probably uh, find the idea of extending life or even transcending death like comforting. Like if there's a way for me when I die to still be alive, cough, cough, heaven, <laughs> uh, I guess it's really comforting for these people who are very anxious of death, which I think most people that are anxious of death don't really currently believe in an afterlife. Yeah, they're most, like almost all of them probably aren't Christians. Yeah. Or I mean, people can be anxious about death, but I mean like people like with this, like they want to become immortal or probably not Christians. And in the Bible, there's where God said that like no one, it won't be common for people to be over the age of 120. I forgot where it was, but it was, I believe it's in Genesis. It's in Genesis, yeah. But it's like, because that's in there, like he said that for sure, just like he said he wouldn't do other things or like it's covenants he's made. Um, I don't think that this will get too much of a footing or I don't know if we'll ever be able to get to the capacity oh, yeah. to have an immortal conscious, but also that's kind that's not very biblical because it doesn't follow like yeah even at all what god's plan is for us he wants us to live with him in heaven not be forever on earth where yeah because when i think of eternal consciousness that comes with this computer it's like eternal life to me but except i think there's a very different thing about this than the way that god is doing it because our eternal our eternal life will have actually new physical bodies eventually in the new earth and so uh, we see this because we got the physical resurrection instead of just the metaphorical resurrection or the spiritual one that could have happened. Uh, we see God very much cares about the physical world as well. That's why he created us as physical beings, and we could have been like spirit children like Mormonism preaches, but uh, we weren't because we're physical, made of flesh and bone, and uh, yeah. And we also see, I mean, this is sort of preaching a false eternal life, and we see that in John fourteen six, we got Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I see a very strong rebuttal there from Jesus against this idea. Not that anyone was pitching it back in the day, but maybe they're pitching the fountain of youth idea. I think that was very much prominent in ancient Greek about Greece around then. Because uh, you could go up to those people and they're like, oh, I'm going to live forever because I just touched the fountain of youth. And then they're like, oh, Jesus, actually, no, Jesus is the only way to eternal life. He's the living water not the fountain of youth. <laughs> so I think that's interesting, that context there as well. And so so I think, I don't know, is there any ways maybe this modern world that we sort of take this idea? I know we've talked about it before on the show. Uh, the idea of the physical, I guess one of the big problems with this is that it's not really a physical eternity. We're just living as consciousness. Do you think a lot of people, especially in the Christian world today, have this idea that heaven will just kind of be an eternal consciousness. We'll just be like spirits floating around maybe. 
N- no, I don't think I don't know exactly what it's gonna be, but I think we'll have like a metaphysical body, possibly. Maybe yeah. that makes sense. But then we'll have like it says yeah. we'll have new physical bodies eventually. Um, in heaven, I don't know, but I don't think we'll care. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We get in heaven, we won't care. We'll just be with everybody. We'll be super happy and joyful and oh yeah it won't be long before you actually get your physical body yep so i think but i think there's also a lot of people who would say maybe at least a lot of people in the american church that wouldn't believe in a physical like afterlife a lot of people see it like afterlife oh there's no way my physical body can live past that so they just immediately assume it's all going to be a spiritual sort of experience here and i think it also sort of plays out in the everyday lives as well we see people maybe emphasizing the spiritual needs or like the survival of the spirit more than the body uh, going maybe on mission trips to meet spiritual needs but lacking the physical or not meeting the physical needs as well so i don't know i just see that a lot i think it was a big problem especially the first and second century Have you ever heard of platonism 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 the idea that uh the physical world didn't really matter and we need to break free of this uh the the illusion of the physical world in order to ascend to the spiritual and so i think i think a lot of people during that time especially you you got have you heard the the holy roller (laughs) no (laughs) it's this guy who just like rolled through like india to try to transcend his oh yeah yeah (laughs) you told me he just like he just literally rolled across and then there's another guy who stood sat on top of a pillar Mm -hmm. and fasted in order to try to transcend his body as well because at that point they didn't really care about the physical the spiritual was really all that mattered Uh, and so but i think uh i think that everyday spirituality or spirituality is really found in the everyday physical things of life Uh, we see corinthians first corinthians 10 31 so whether you eat or drink whatever you do do all for the glory of god and so i see some mundane tasks like drinking and eating not really the most spiritual things but you can do that to the glory of god and i think martin luther also put it very well and he said the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of god just as much as the monk who prays not because they, she may sing a christian hymn as she sweeps but because god loves clean floors <laughs> i think it's funny funny he also went on the christian shoemaker does his christian duty by putting little crosses on the shoes or not by putting little crosses on the shoes but by making good shoes because god is interested in good craftsmanship because it can be used to help people and so i think also maybe you could apply science to this like i guess the christian scientist uh does his christian duty not really by just trying to plug god into everything i guess but by doing good science because good science helps people and that's ultimately glorifying to god glorifying to god as well so i just made my own quote like I, I can be famous now lit lit yeah, we'll have to we'll have to give credit a little bit to martin luther for that he's but got a, he's got a, he's, he's got, got enough some, credit he's got a lot of credit yeah yeah he doesn't need more well maybe he does but maybe yeah no he probably doesn't need it but we still need to give it yeah because copyright issues you know yeah you don't want to get flagged speaking of well not copyright but the wash machine looked up the first ever electric um wash machine Invented, it was created in 1908. Wow, it's just been around over a hundred years. That's crazy, over a hundred years. Yep, that is insane. So, so we brought it full circle. So, I guess, uh, 
<laughs> full cycle. We just full did a full cycle. cycle. We just did a full cycle on you. We're back to the beginning. Thank you guys for watching this episode of the Convergence Podcast. Be tuned for next week. We're going to have some guest stars on to talk about the future of human life and Elon pl- Elon Musk's plan for humans on Mars. So there should be some interesting conversations. Uh, stay tuned for that one. Uh, we will we will hope to see you then. Be sure to contact us at the Biola. Oh, I forgot what's our Twitter at Convergence Podcast BU. BU. Uh, tweet us your questions or thoughts, uh, and be sure to, we'll be sure to be checking those. We we love doing question question episodes. So, uh, and also, yeah, you can also follow us on. We don't have an Instagram. That's a lie. You can email me at the Biola at Convergence Podcast BU as well at gmail.com. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. This has been the Convergence Podcast. Thank you.